0: This is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party.
1: This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Are you kidding me, man?
0: Already? Again, this is the probably, I don't know, 10th time it's happened, but our channel on YouTube got blocked again. Hell's going on man. and the weird part is they never get to strike number three where they just cancel my account they go strike number one oh uh, strike number two and now apparently i can't do live streaming for 30 days on there oh well what are we going to do oh my dear as youtube continues to say we're spreading quote-unquote misinformation here on this program well by golly G willikers We'll just continue to spread whatever message that we feel like doing so here on this program that is truth, common sense, and reason in society. Welcome into the program. Hey, thanks for hanging out today. It's the middle of the week. I know it's hard for you sometimes, you know, to tune in, turn that radio dial, listen to the podcast, however you watch or listen to the show. We always love you doing so, as we get a lot of great response from each and every one of you. Thank you very much. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. All over the country, multiple radio stations, plus the TV, live stream, and podcast. However you watch or listen, welcome your Millennial General reporting for duty, like we do every single day, even if we're not on YouTube today. Or the next couple, or the next 30 days, apparently. What are you going to do? Bottom of the hour, we're going to... Maybe break Maybe it's a good thing YouTube won't like us because we're going to have Dr. Lewis Newman on the program. He is a college professor in multiple different studies. He's also author of the book "Critical uh, Thinking Critically in College, the Essential Handbook for Student Success. You mean we actually have to think critically in society to learn how to think and not what to think? Stop with your rubbish, my friend. Stop it. How dare you tell us to think critically and actually process and be a... Uh, problem solver in society you rascallions! you making us actually exercise our brains in some way shape or form we'll do that at the bottom of the hour do we get taught critical thinking in college and if not how do we get back on track to do so so we have that we have a heck of a lot to get to so let's jump right into it the most important story of course of the day which is of course when the government says something you know it's probably a lie and again man, it's, it's like having, you know, that girl in high school or in college when you chase them for a really long time and then you just get shut down because I think we're better just being friends, right? <laughs> That's never happened to me in any way, shape or form growing up uh, when I was younger. But you get your hopes up. Maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the opportunity. Maybe this is when it's going to happen. And then, boom, baby, the shutdown, the smack in the face and the letdown. That's what happens with the government every single time. Obviously, with the most important story of the day. Weird news of the day. Oh, yes. Oh, You knew I was going to start with this today. The hearing was today from the subcommittee in the Senate regarding UFOs. I'm sorry, UAPs, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. As we read the story a couple of days ago of the chief of that, Kirk, uh, what was it? What's his name? Something, Kirk Patrick, nonetheless, had made the comment that some of the major asteroids around us on Earth were potentially alien motherships. He made that. That's the research from the Pentagon as of right now. That's what we've heard. And he was going to be the one testifying at the hearings today, the first uh, hearing that we've had in 50 years in this committee regarding UFOs and UAPs, uh, regarding the investigation of 650 incidents. However, after the hearing today, Sean Kirkpatrick, the chief of this organization, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. After the investigation and the hearings today, he told the Senate Armed Services Subcommittee that there are, quote, uh, I want to underscore today that there are only a very small percentage of UAP reports displaying signatures that could reasonably be described as anonymous, but he says that there are no evidence of extraterrestrials with the investigations they have ongoing. Now, with with that being said, that's when we know that they're lying. Liars. Lying, lying, liars. This is like the third time that they've come out with a report or done some time of committee in some way, shape, or form investigating these things. And this is the answer that they get. I'd like to remind you that we had on the program I don't know, a couple of months ago, a month ago or so, an individual by the name of Chris Bledsoe, which ironically was just on Coast to Coast AM a couple days ago as well, doing his entire story. The number one most researched case of a UFO abduction in the entire history of our government and worldwide, as he's had different agencies investigate and talk to him for years now since his incident that happened back in like 2008 or 2009. And he tells his entire story along with saying that he can't even talk about certain things that the government has had him sign that he cannot talk about as well. So the fact that there is still no origins or no evidence of alien life forms in any way, shape, or form, you're lying. I know it. I'm watching you drive me absolutely nuts man so uh again you got my hopes up maybe we could see some information be released and then the shutdown again and my my feelings are hurt my feelings are hurt thank you very much government you've again ruined my childhood all right we got, coming up we got a lot to get to today i don't want to focus a lot of time on it but we had to give the update because that is probably the most important story of the day some say it's the distraction i call it the most entertaining piece of news that we'll get all day long but with that being said let's get into what's trending
1: What's trending today? I'm
0: telling you, that's definitely the most interesting piece because now we get to get into taxes. Yesterday was tax day. Why people waited till the very last day of tax season? Not quite sure, but why the hell not? Procrastinators unite, baby. It's what we're all about. Uh, the federal government, however, the Treasury Department, the Commerce Department, the Internal Revenue Service, a little concerned with the projected Results of what we could see for tax revenue for the month of April as they say that it's coming in pretty dramatically low roughly with their expectations what we could see over the next week or so really about 28% lower than what we've seen this time last year. Now, the reason this is important is because we have a debt ceiling crisis where we're out of money and they're trying to project when the debt ceiling actually hits the country. And they were hoping that we would have better than anticipated tax revenue for the month of April with everybody filing their taxes, along with the personal income taxes and sales tax revenue and everything else that they're doing, so that way they could extend out that debt ceiling a little bit further based on the quote-unquote extraordinary measures that Secretary Janet Yellen has said that they are doing in the Treasury Department. But now that they're coming in dramatically low, according to the lower capital gains tax revenues, as Goldman Sachs analysts say that they're expecting revenues to fall by 28% relative to the same period last year, that now the debt ceiling is expected to hit mid-June. Now, for those that are slow on the draw here and may not understand this process, that would mean we have the rest of June and July and August... Before the federal budget takes effect for the next year, we have three months that we have to figure out what to pay and how to pay for our expenditures as a federal government before we hit a new government year budget year cycle that uh, is going to be obviously a little bit higher. And we're still working on a budget for next year that obviously is going to increase. But we have three months we have to figure out how to pay for. And they were hoping that we could extend that out, maybe a month or two, so that way we only have to deal with just an extension for another month. But that's not going to be the case. So now the next question is, how do we cover those three months? The battle has begun again with either raising the debt ceiling cutting some government spending, which, of course, is a non-starter for the Biden administration, and openly said that, no, we just need to increase spending, period, end of story, because if we don't, then obviously the children will die in the streets. The less fortunate will have no way to be able to get their food or be able to take care of themselves in any way, shape, or form without the government programs that the evil Republicans and Kevin McCarthy want to cut.
1: It will destroy this economy. And who do you think will hurt the most? You, hardworking people, the middle class, the neighborhoods I got raised in, not the super wealthy or the powerful, but working
0: folks. (laughs) That was Joe Biden at a, a, I'd like to say a campaign rally that happened earlier today in Maryland as we go into our favorite segment of the day. Let's go into the Biden basement. Where, as you know, he has not said anything about the debt ceiling for the last few months. Kevin McCarthy on news media, uh, rightfully so, saying, hey, we've tried to reach out. We've tried to set another meeting to negotiate, to have a conversation about this issue. We're not getting any success. The Biden administration saying Republicans don't want to address it because we're just not willy nilly open to just raising the debt ceiling. When we say, hey, maybe we should at least talk about doing some substantial cuts, then raise the debt ceiling. And of course, that's again the non-starter for the Biden administration who openly said that at his rally in Maryland earlier today.
1: It's not about fiscal discipline. It's about cutting benefits for folks that don't seem to care. They don't seem to care much about. It's about finding ways to squeeze out more of America's middle class. They should be getting tax relief themselves, not the super wealthy.
0: Hold on a second. It's not about fiscal responsibility, has nothing to do with that because apparently that's not a term that the federal government knows anything about. Not about fiscal responsibility. It's about cutting programs that rich people don't have to use, that the middle class have to use. Apparently now, even if you use a social program, you're still in the middle class. Before, that used to be, if I'm self-sustaining, that was middle class. Even if I'm barely sustaining self-sustaining middle class, the social programs were for the less fortunate that were in the lower income range. According to Joe Biden, though, that's now middle class. Middle class just has to sustain based on using government programs and working because they're
1: not making enough. That's how good the Biden economy is under Joe Biden. It's not about fiscal discipline. It's about cutting benefits for folks that don't seem to care. They don't seem to care much about. (laughs) It's about finding ways to squeeze out more of America's middle class. They should be getting tax relief themselves, not the super wealthy.
0: I don't even know what he's talking about there, but that's insane. Here it comes down to it. And at least he's starting to address it. Because we told you before, the theory was that he wasn't even going to mention this. It wasn't going to be a blip on the conversation, on the radar, at all until at the very end when we're like, hey, why why haven't we raised this? What's going on here? Why haven't we just willy-nilly just raised the debt ceiling, just without any question? And then we say, wait a second, we've been trying... And then it comes down to the fast and furious. Either do it or people will die in the streets. All these programs will shut down. Which, remember, the government has the ability to choose what shuts down to what doesn't during a government shutdown. Now, if we hit the debt ceiling, that just means that we start stopping the funding of certain programs to pay the debt. The debt does not get defaulted on, which is the lie the Democrats have been proposing. The debt, let me repeat that the debt does not get defaulted on. If we run out of money, we shut down certain agencies to make sure that we can pay the money to the debt because that is the number one priority because we cannot lose that A-plus rating for our debt. It's like that credit score, my credit score staying at 600 or 800 because I've never missed a payment on a student loan or a credit card or a mortgage or a car payment or whatever else debt you may have. Don't worry about it because that will never be defaulted on. We will stop buying groceries before we miss a payment. That's the government's... That's the way, in the laws, the government set up. But that's not the argument we're hearing from the Joe Biden administration and the Democrats and Kareem Jean-Pierre
1: right now. Massive cuts in programs you count on. Massive benefit protected for those at the top. A lot of, you know, all the tax cuts go to the top, none to the bottom.
0: I don't know what he's talking about. We're not talking about tax cuts right now. We're talking about literally just applying money from the government to make sure we pay our debts and not raising the debt ceiling that's already over 120% of our GDP. That's all we're saying. I don't know what he's talking about with tax cuts. What are you talking about? We're not looking at tax cuts right now. We are looking at trying to move forward with a new budget. And yeah, it would be nice to get some tax cuts, spur the economy a little bit. Look, if we have a 28% reduction in tax revenue for the month of April alone, isn't that a major red flag, a big, a big flag waving out there saying, hey, we have a serious problem. The recession's hitting, the economy's slowing. Look at the stock market for the last few days. Not a whole lot of movement on the stock market right now. A sign that there's been a major sell-off, people are not investing, they're not using a lot of money, consumer spending's down right now, mortgages are down, mortgage applications are down, mortgage refinances are down nationwide, no one wants to spend money, they're clinging on to it. Receipts for the government are down 28%, maybe that's a sign that we're bracing for this and all he can talk about is how evil Republicans are for wanting to cut spending.
1: Good golly, man. This is the Voice of Reason, with Andy Hoosier. (music) Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with
0: andy hoosier darn right it is welcome in 24 minutes past the hour radio tv live streaming podcasting what's happening for the middle of the week let's carpe diem all over this place baby that's what we're good for here on the program and by the way yeah i am looking there's there's about three months three three and a half months right now that's unfunded for the government because i saw a message maybe i wasn't clear on that one yes the federal budget starts for the new fiscal year in october which means we have through september I wasn't counting even June, because if we go through halfway through June, I guess technically we still have half the month. So we have July, August, September, and then the half month. So we really have three and a half months that are unfended for the government right now. That's a scary thought. The fact that, I mean, it's not because it could easily be reallotted somewhere else to be just coast- not increase spending, not do anything insane, not do anything extra, take some of the COVID-19 funding uh, relief money that the government has allotted that they haven't spent yet and just reapply it there. Take some of the infrastructure money that hasn't been sent out since Pete Buttigieg has been a horrendous manager on that project, sending money out to the states, and just realot it there temporarily and then just back-fund it if you have to. I mean, I don't think why we need to, but for government purposes, back-fund it when you get the federal budget for 2024. It's not a big deal. Uh, speaking of, by the way, there's a new proposal and a request for the 2020, uh, 2024 federal budget as well from the Internal Revenue Service. Now, as you know, through some of the bills that have been passed at the federal level, we have right now passed. It was not repealed. It was repealed to the House of Representatives, not through both chambers, about the expansion of the 88,000 new IRS employees. Well, the Internal Revenue Service has made a new request in the upcoming 2024 budget budget. Process. As according to Newsmax.com, Daniel Werfel, the Internal Revenue Service Commissioner, uh, Commissioner, Danny Werfel, has requested for an approval of $1.8 billion of an increase for their annual budget for the Internal Revenue Service, on top of the agency spending plans for over $80 billion in long term funding to try and increase another 5,000 employees. Along with other resources for the IRS, this is again with a B billion, almost two billion dollars in, in increase in spending is worthful told the Senate Finance Committee earlier today that the $14.1 billion fiscal year 2024 IRS budget request would allow for further improvements in taxpayer services after the agency improved its call center response times with 5,000 new employees funded by last year's Inflation Reduction Act. Hold on a second, that's on top of the 88000 That's because we already have the 88000 that's... Working its way in there, we're looking at hiring close to 20,000 more here over the next year or so as according to IRS earlier this month released their spending plans calling for the total new hiring of nearly 20,000 new staff during the 2023 and 24 fiscal years, including 7,200 associated with enforcement and 6,500 in customer service. (laughs) <laughs> we see where the priorities are there. Customer service, we'll put 6500 7200 Those are for enforcement, baby. We're going to go out to the streets. We're going to arrest people. Those are the ones that are actually getting firearm training, so that way if anybody tries to run or shoot back with their tax filings, because that is the biggest priority for the federal government is making sure that they get the money that they're demanded. It is deemed for them no matter what we do. we got to make sure we're paying those taxes It is our civic duty, and if not... You're a terrorist. A terrorist, I tell you. I wonder if those are actually being included in the FBI numbers on domestic terrorism of those that are fighting back against the massive amounts of taxes that we pay with each dollar being taxed like 18 different times before we actually get the couple pennies at the end of the day. Because the government's priorities, man, number one on there. So while we have, again, a 28% decrease in tax revenue for the month of April, a major decline With money coming into the federal government, cutting back our expenditures quite a bit with the debt ceiling moving up quite dramatically up until the early or mid part of June because people are concerned about a recession that, by the way, is going to by default cause a recession when we're not spending money in the economy. We have the IRS saying, can we get another $2 billion? Need to hire a few more people to make sure you're paying your taxes. Because if you're not going to spend it, we're just going to find a way to steal it from you and forcefully take it. Because, again, that's the priority of the federal government. The Voice of Reason with Andy
1: Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right, it is. Welcome back into the program, making
0: it happen today for a midweek celebration, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation. Yes, I apologize for my generation all the time, at least for the ones that are doing really stupid stuff, but nonetheless, trying to rebrand us one radio listener at a time. We're on multiple radio stations all over the place, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch just let's carpe diem all over this place what do you say baby <laughs> uh i just saw a comment on social media as well about i sold all my stocks by the end of business today oh my I, look i mean there's a concern about that recession hitting, and with tax receipts coming into the government at a projected 28% rate less than what we had seen last year. And last year, we still weren't recovered from the COVID-19 pandemic either. That's a cause for concern with the recession on coming. While at the same time, the IRS is saying, hey, can I get another $2 billion on top of what we're already getting with our 40000000000 billion-plus budget in order to hire more IRS agents on top of the 88000 we already want to hire? and other resources so we can enforce because if you're not going to spend the money then we're going to forcefully take it from you through audits and making sure that you're not crossing your t's and dotting your i's it's insanity out there and we need to be aware that we'll continue that conversation here in just a bit but i want to shift gears here uh for a moment and talk to our next guest
2: What's trending today, which
0: I know this conversation is going to uh, make the other side lose their minds. Well, maybe not. Maybe there's a few of them out there that have some critical thinking abilities to them. Excited to have on here, though, as we talk about how we process thought, how we come to our own conclusions. Do we have the capability to have critical thinking to actually think about things logically and come to a conclusion or an opinion on things based on logic? and common sense and reason oh hey wait a second isn't that what the show's all about here with the voice of reason excited to have on the program as he is uh the, the heck of a resume here the dean of academic advising and associate vice provost for undergraduate education at stanford university he's also a professor of religious studies at Carleton college he's also has his latest book thinking critically in college the essential handbook for student success excited to have on the program dr lewis newman doctor how are you my friend
2: very good. Thanks for having me.
0: I bet it's, it's good to have you on here. I am looking forward to this conversation. I, my first question is, do you think that we've lost the ability to have critical thinking in society based on some of the news events and headlines that we see in the headlines today?
2: <laughs> I would say lost the ability would be a little uh, extreme. I don't think we've lost the ability. I think it's certainly challenging. It's always been challenging to think critically. I think currently we're dealing with a kind of mix of factors that are making it harder. One of them has to do with the Internet and social media, which makes it a lot easier for people to spread disinformation very quickly. Another is the fact that our society is very politically polarized and people have become more extreme on both ends of the spectrum. That makes it harder for people to think critically about views that come from the other end of the spectrum. So I think those two factors maybe distinguish this most recent period of time from other periods that we've gone through in the past. Sure.
0: I would agree. I Obviously, social media is the big one, like you mentioned. That's kind of where I wanted to go first off was, I mean, right now we can do, say whatever we want to with 130 characters on a Twitter and somehow we're the experts and we can say anything that we want, which I believe in the freedom of the Internet and I don't like it being regulated. We should be able to say whatever we want to on there. But it's up for us to discern what's correct and what's not correct based on just common sense. And I'm concerned that the younger generations, especially when they see something on social media, then all of a sudden that's just fact and truth. And then they go out and spread that one. And they're not using that critical thinking process to discern, well, is this real or does this seem a little fishy? I mean, is that
2: where we're at today? I think that's part of where we're at. That phenomenon is certainly widespread, as we all know. Uh, I would also say that it's a little more than just common sense. That's a factor. That's one of the things. When you listen to someone say something that sounds kind of outlandish, you ought to be suspicious if you are using your critical thinking skills. Uh, I, I think that's one factor. People are, so are, are subject to being gullible. All people are to some degree. But I think one of the things we hope to do in college and hopefully in other educational settings as well is to train people to look for evidence. If somebody is saying something that seems wild, you should be asking for what their backup evidence is. And if they cite something, you ought to go check it out and see if, in fact, it supports the position that they've espoused. So I think there's a lot more of that that we could be doing. I think that's one of the problems that we're dealing with right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The K-12, through the public education system for before you get into college, uh, are they f- still focused on that? Are their curriculums forcing the uh, concept of critical thinking? Or do you think we move towards more of the just general, here's just regurgitate what we read in the book and kind of the one size fits all type of education system uh, for people? When obviously there's a lot of different styles of of ways of thinking and the way that people learn either with hands on or with a, a photographic memory or people that just need to you know memorize and really study hard. There's obviously different ways for people to learn based on whatever's best for them. Do we tailor? Do you think education to that, or do you think that we've kind of gone to the one size fits all that's harming the critical thinking process?
2: We've well, you've, you've raised a couple of different issues. I I think there. So let me try to tease them apart. So so first of all, I would say I'm a I'm not an expert on primary and secondary education. I've never taught in a elementary or a high school, so I don't want to try to. Opine about the nature of that kind of education, particularly since it's all of course very localized. It's different from one school system sure. or school district to another. A lot of these things are mandated by state departments of education, and those of course, you know, there are 50 of those. So I, I think it's hard to generalize, first of all about what's happening in primary and secondary education across the country. Sure. Number two, I think learning styles is really a separate uh, a separate question. So uh, you're right. I think a lot of education generally in high schools, and I say this only on the basis of students I've taught and worked with in college, a lot of them come out of high school into college mostly having learned a lot about how to absorb information and regurgitate it, as you put it. Now, they've learned other things, too, but but that's what has gotten them the A's that maybe got them into college. And one of the things that I try to do in the book is to highlight some of the ways. Of course, you continue to do that. You have to learn material and just memorize information. That's That that continues to be the case in college. But at the same time, college is going to require students to engage in more analysis, more synthesis, extrapolation, transferring information that they've learned from one context to another. All of those are skills that are probably new to a lot of high school uh, graduates and beginning college students. Yeah. So those are the things that I focus on in my book.
0: I love that. Yeah, well, and like you said, it's, it's kind of an eye-opener, I think, for a lot of students when they go to the higher education and say, oh, wait a second, I have to come up with the uh, with the idea myself. That was a challenge. When I went to college, it was a challenge for me as well, because we were so used to just, well, just memorize out of the book, just go ahead and regurgitate, boom, done, and you're over. Now you have to come up with your own idea. My very first essay I had to write in my English class my freshman year they're like, you can write about whatever you want to as long as you have a certain amount of paragraphs or words or whatever, and you know it's formatted in a certain way. I was lost because I had no clue what to do, and I think I failed that class, honestly.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I've talked with a lot of uh, college students in the course of writing this book, including students at Stanford, which, of course, is a pretty prestigious institution with a lot of pretty – Smart and highly motivated students, yeah. as well as students from Carleton, where I taught for many years. Uh, by the way, I'm now retired from both institutions, uh, just for the record. But, but to say, uh, to say the least, a lot of those students said to me, you know, I really wish somebody had handed me a book like this when I first started, because it sure would have made things a lot clearer and easier. I kind of, kind of figured it out over the course of four years, but it certainly would have helped if I'd gotten some. Uh, Some pointers and some guidance at the very outset.
0: Yeah, I love it. We're talking with Dr. Lewis Newman, author of the book, uh, Thinking Critically in College, the Essential Handbook for Student Success. So let's go over a couple of those tips and tricks. How how can we start training our brain to think critically and go into those types of situations a little more prepared, maybe?
2: Sure. Well, there are a number of ways of thinking about critical thinking to start with, and uh, when people use that term, they often mean a whole range of different things. What I mean when I talk about critical thinking in my book is the set of skills that I think that most college professors expect college students to be able to do, or they expect them to learn how to do them. And and I break that down into four basic components, and I identify them as exploring context, considering alternatives, weighing evidence, and investigating implications and new applications. So I could, I could elaborate on each of the four of those, but in, in essence, I think that pretty much every college assignment, and by the way, I've checked this out with colleagues in a variety of different fields of study, and, and they all concur, that basically, in, in very broad strokes, those are the kinds of things we expect uh, students to do. So just to take one, you're given some information, you're reading a, uh, something that's, that's been assigned to you, You want to ask all sorts of questions about context. Who's the author of this? What time period was it written in? What kind of audience was it written for? What sort of assumptions uh, is the author making here? So on and so forth. Those are all context questions. And if we're not asking those questions, we're just looking at it kind of superficially, then we're not really delving into it. We're not seeing it kind of three-dimensionally. And so one of the things that I think I encourage students to do in this book is to begin to develop the habit of critical reading. And that goes along with what you said uh, earlier, Andy, which is to say, you know, you come across something on the internet or on social media, you want to be doing the very same thing. Who's the author of this? Like, what agenda might they have? Where are they coming from? Are they trying to sell me something? Right? All that kind of thing uh, is, is what we want to be doing before we just take it at face value.
0: Well, and like you said, I mean, context is everything, and I love that you said that because now we're seeing in a lot of K-12 and higher education where they're banning books because of it being, quote-unquote, offensive or racist or segregationist or whatever they try to say. I mean, uh, the biggest one I could think of right offhand was To Kill a Mockingbird when you know they're saying, well, it's a racist book, and therefore you can't say it because they have these derogatory terms in there. But putting yourself in their shoes, the context of how it was written based on that time to explain what was going on at that time, gives it an entirely different perspective and maybe people would think about it a little bit differently and understand it a little bit more. Got to take a break here. It's Dr. Lewis Newman right around the corner here on The Voice of Reason. Critical thinking till we still have it
1: right Reason, here with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day, the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into it. Last
0: few minutes of the show, boy, it goes by way too fast. Fastest hour of radio on, well, radio and podcasting and how everybody else to watch. Welcome in. We're hanging out with Dr. Lewis Newman, author of the book "Thinking Critically in College: The Essential Handbook to uh, for Student Success." Which I know we're just focusing on one of the numerous different ways to begin thinking critically, which is essential in society. But in uh, doctor, I know that uh, I step away from politics for just a minute because that's where mine go, my mind goes because I'm a dork. But this whole putting things into perspective, the context, trying to understand where things come from uh, goes beyond just education or even politics, but even just marriage, relationships, life in general, if you're having an argument, if someone gets really angry at something, understanding the concept, understanding their side of it, thinking, putting things in context makes you realize sometimes that, hey, it's a response based on, you know, prior experience or a traumatic experience or some type of uh insecurity or whatever. And you could take these different aspects into all different ways of life, can't you?
2: Uh, absolutely. And in fact I try to make that point in the book that even apart from college and the ways in which this kind of thinking will help you be more successful there, it's also a set of skills we need throughout our lives. And you've, you've listed just a couple of the examples in, in conversation with friends or others, co- co-workers, perhaps, neighbors. Uh, it certainly comes up. It comes up when we have to make medical decisions, uh, when we have to decide on uh, should we do this particular medical procedure or take this particular medication or in financial investment decisions. What's the evidence that this investment is going to be profitable and uh, how reliable is that evidence? And is somebody trying to pull the wool over my eyes or something? So all of those are questions that if you're thinking critically, you're going to be thinking more deeply about them, and that will be beneficial uh, in all sorts of ways throughout our lives.
0: Why don't we put more effort into this at a younger age? I know that uh, as a parent, obviously, I have a nine-year-old daughter, you know, trying to protect her and trying to, you know, just tell her what's right, what's wrong, do this, don't do that. Uh, But my parents, for example, never explained why. They just said, don't do it. And when I asked why, because I said so, does that really help? Or is it more of, hey, you need to experience these things because you need to come to that conclusion based on your own experience and based on that critical thinking process to be like, huh. Maybe I shouldn't put the hand on the hot stove. Why? Well, because if I do, then this is what happens, and I've experienced that myself. Does this fall into there as well?
2: A little bit, I think. That's one kind of example. I would have to say, I think I was a parent myself. My children are now older than yours. But certainly there are lots of parents who at a certain point get fed up with kids at a certain age asking why about everything. (laughs) And so you just sort of put your foot down and say, because I said so. Not because you think that's a great answer, but just because you want to end the conversation. And I I think all parents have probably been in that place. Sure. That said, I certainly agree with you that over time, we ought to be modeling for our children in our own decision making and in the way that we conduct our affairs, uh, how to think critically, how to examine evidence, how to think about implications, how to read critically, take in the information that we are exposed to and analyze it and and explore it more deeply we can model that for our children and not only model it really tell them about it walk them through it give them opportunities to practice and so it, as we do that I think that's one of the jobs of parenting frankly and certainly we want our educators to do that with our children
1: yeah amen so that. yes
2: absolutely I think that's that's a, a key part of of growing up to be an independent thinker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Questioning and asking why. We always, always taught question everything, which I wholeheartedly believe in. But, uh, Doctor, we got just about a minute as we wrap up here. But as we do start to question, quote-unquote, everything, I wonder if we could take that maybe a little bit too far, which is when we get to the point of people questioning, are there really only two genders in society? <laughs> I think that maybe we've crossed that line of questioning too many things.
2: <laughs> well, look, I, everybody may have their own uh, lines uh, where they think that things ought not to be questioned. Obviously, there are religious views that some religious authorities would say should not be questioned. And that's just one example. There are uh, certainly other kinds of positions that we may sort of feel so strongly about that we think they are beyond critical analysis and they just ought to be accepted because that's the way we've always done them or because we're convinced that they're right. Yeah. So I, I think we do want to uh, encourage people to be skeptical and to have an inquiring mind. And I also think we need to recognize that there may be limits and there may be times when uh, we take things on faith or we take things on the authority of experts because we don't have the ability or the time ourselves to determine whether the facts support what they're saying or not i yeah. can come up with a number of examples if you wanted to but it sounds like we're maybe out of time so we're, we're out of time
0: here. i could talk about this with you forever i love it because you're right i think uh, that also bleeds into the conversation about uh, religious versus critical thinking as well and where religion falls in and personal beliefs on that front as well it's thinking critically in college the essential handbook for student success dr lewis newman i love the conversation brother let's get you back on and do it again soon Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Likewise. Appreciate it. We'll do it again here soon. Until then, podcast up a little bit. We're back at it tomorrow. We will see you on the radio.